Hello, and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we speak with Peter Scavato. He's with the Comptroller's Office at the state of Massachusetts, and we will talk about cybersecurity, some of the things that happened to them, and lessons we can learn. So let's talk to Peter. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Happy to have today with us Peter Scavato from Massachusetts, um, and we'll be speaking about some cyber incidents. But uh, so, how are you doing this morning, Peter? Doing very well. All right. Nice well, to be here. Thank you. Well, won't you give us a little introduction about yourself and your office and what your uh, what your day job is up there in Massachusetts? Okay, we'd be happy to. I am the Assistant Comptroller for Risk in the Office of the Comptroller for the State of Massachusetts, and um, we. Primarily, we have we play several roles. Primarily, we are helping agencies, of which there are about 150 in the state, identify and address risk that they face. Uh, normally, that we think of that in the terms of what we do as an office, which is financial reporting, accounting, and payroll. So we're we're looking at how they behave in our systems, um, and looking at making sure that they uh, comply with state finance law and comptroller regulations and policies, uh, some procurement rules, those kinds of things. Uh, we also are involved in coordinating the state single audit and um, <clears throat> various other things that we get involved with around the office. We do some internal reviews on a rotational basis in our office, kind of an internal audit role. Um, and we develop training for uh, fraud, waste and abuse prevention and awareness uh, as well as risk management and internal controls. So we develop training and hand that off to our training folks and they uh, deliver classroom training here at our office and they will also go out into the field and uh, make visits around the state to deliver that training as well. Okay, we have plenty plenty on your plate there it sounds like. So why don't we talk, to, <laughs> so why don't we talk a little bit about um, so there was a cyber incident a little while ago and uh, kind of the reason we wanted to have this call with you is kind of what happened, what are some things you sort of learned from that and you know what could you share with the, the rest of us on the listening in here? Sure, it was just about a year ago uh, there was an incident at a community college. It was a very sophisticated attack uh, and actually the first one that we had to deal with and um, it made it a little more difficult as we look in hindsight that that had a lot of the elements um, put together in one attack that in subsequent attacks to that we have seen you know, maybe one one prong of a cyber attack like like a ransomware um, this one um, and and so for perspective the Commonwealth is set up with um, an executive office of technical uh, security and systems and a lot of the state is under that umbrella and under that the protections that they have for firewalls and um, virus scanning and proof point for um, looking at email attachments that may be uh, malicious so these these incidents have happened to agencies that are outside of that particular framework they're outside of that network so so they are at the mercy of whatever they have for expertise in technology and how they've trained their employees and what kind of funds they have available to spend on that. So that's kind of one of the lessons we've learned is to say what, who are the high-risk agencies that are out there and susceptible to this. But getting back to the incident, 
Um, it had started, I believe, a couple of months before where um, the payroll operation received two different um, direct deposit change forms that came from employee computers. And the form said, please change my direct deposit to this bank account, and they did. And the money was directed to a prepaid debit card in both cases, and the money was not recoverable. So the school had to make the employees whole, and they alerted us because we tried to help recover the money, um, which we could not do in this case. But we said, at the time, we said, somebody may be sniffing, and they may be just seeing what your defenses are and may come back later with a, with a larger attack, so you should scan your network. Um, and two months later, so it was around November of last year, um, there's when this sophisticated attack occurred. So it started with another email um, that came from another school, and it was definitely from an IP address at that school with a word attachment that said, please pay this invoice. And it came into accounts payable where it normally would. And it wasn't unusual to get that. So person in receipt clicked on the, the Word document and it said, do you want to enable content? They said yes. Then it said, do you want to enable macros? And they also said yes. And then when the document didn't open, they called the person that sent the email and said, the document you sent me didn't open. And of course they said, I didn't send you, uh, I didn't send you an email. So that's how the virus got in, um, which was the Emotet virus, E-M-O-T-E-T, -E which is uh, really kind of originally built to go looking for banking credentials and passwords and that sort of thing. So that that is how the virus got in. And then when they, once they found out who had banking credentials, um, they launched an attack that was simultaneous with um, sending an email that was actually from the bank. So it was the bank's website, but it had that kind of a fake facade on a, a little window. So when you type in uh, to that, you're actually typing into to the hacker's computer um, and giving up your credentials. So the email came in and it said, we just changed some security profiles and we want you to test to make sure you can still get in. So the person's tried to log in, she couldn't, tried a couple more times and then conveniently got a phone call from the bank, from Mike, who said, hey, I see you're having trouble getting into the system and um, why don't you try again? So they're working through it. It's very calm and professional. And knowing that they had another person that had credentials because you need two to authorize a wire transfer from the bank, said, does anybody else have access? And uh, he was told, yes, person over in, in grants management has access. So I said, have them come over to your computer and try to get in, knowing that if they tried from their own computer, they would have gone to the right website. So they came over and they're walking them both through, and they had the right controls in place to say, you need a, a, a PIN number to get in, and it comes to a disconnected FOB. So they were getting the numbers, and they said, put those in. So they kept them on the line for a while, and eventually they got, they got both uh, credentials and PIN numbers. And while they kept them on the phone, somebody else started doing the wire transfers. And they did a total of 12 before the bank called the school and said, this looks unusual. Um, which was odd that it was that many because they only did one every few weeks. So uh, kind of right there, the threshold of when you would call um, was kind of uh, unusual. But at the same time this was going on, there was a uh, denial of service attack that brought the internet down. 
So a lot of employees and staff were calling and complaining about that. So the IT folks were concentrating on that problem. And there were, there were thousands of emails heading out um, of their pipeline and clogging it up. So that's why the internet came down. So they're dealing with that issue um, while these wire transfers are going out. Wow. So, I mean, as you said, it sounds pretty sophisticated. It sounds like it's, you know, for this and other incidents, I mean, do you find that the folks that perpetrate this stuff, is they really under, they really know the organization they're dealing with, or, or is it just they can do this to anybody just with a little bit of information? I, I think a lot of this is drive-by, and then once once you can drop something in, it, higher ed, I believe, is, is targeted. Governments are targeted because they have a lot of data and a lot of um, money if you can get at that part. So the banking principle thing is, I think if you can drop it in and someone falls for it, it's in, then you kind of know that, say, okay, that's what I'm going to attack. And then you kind of plan it from there. So it's not a particularly big school, didn't have a ton of money, but the loss to them was significant. It was um, the, the 12 transfers totaled over $900,000. They were able to stop the last three. So the total loss was just over 800000 they were able to retrieve all but 127,000, I believe was the total that, that they couldn't get back. So there were nine wire transfers to three different banks, and it took 90 business days working with the bank and investigators to get those funds back. So they were pretty fortunate to only lose 127,000. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I guess the question I definitely have then is, you know, what did you guys kind of do after this incident to help prevent something like this happening again? Well, um, what we did initially when we heard about the incident was, so we have to protect the enterprise systems of the Commonwealth. So one of the other roles we play is granting security access to any individual that wants to go into the accounting or payroll systems or even the data warehouse. So when we look at these requests, we, we try to make sure there's a, a segregation of duties involved and that um, no one person is given too much access. For example, you wouldn't want someone to be able to create a vendor create an encumbrance of funds and then make a payment all by themselves. So you want to see that segregated. So we kind of control that. So we knew they had a problem down there and we didn't really know the extent of it. We said, we need to protect our systems. So we turn off the security access to all the uses that they had. It was not too many. So probably about 18 people. So that's the first step we take. But then, and, and then you say, we have to kind of leave you uh, deactivated until we know you're clean and that could take a while so in the meantime you need to be able to conduct your business so we we help we assist them in standing up uh, standalone PCs that are not connected to the network and they have to have they do have to have an internet connection in order to get to us so uh, we have certain requirements that the PC has to have for security protocols and they can be set up fairly easily um, so that's an inconvenience uh, to them but we had to do that to protect the rest of the systems. Right. Now, um, right, that makes sense. I mean, it sounds like, you know, they've been infected, so we have to cut off the uh, the source potentially getting into into your, your systems. And, I mean, I'm guessing were you successful at that? You didn't have anything come into your system? No, we, no, we were fine with that. And the, the, the issue is sometimes because uh, some incidents have happened where the person, the agency is, is around the corner from us and they can come over and use our computers. Um, in this case, um, this school was probably 70 miles away, um, so they would send, they would come, sometimes they have to drive in with some paperwork for, you know, the first week to make sure we got their payroll done, um, and, you know, you don't know, you don't want to accept attachments from them, because uh, you're not quite sure how infected the network is, 
so some of the stuff is done by phone. Um, so the struggle for the first payroll was was um, significant, but then it got better after that once they got their computers uh, stood up because you start with one and then they had to go to a, I think a total of four, and then they had to share those. So that's that's the hardship on their end, but we have we have the protection considerations, and then we do whatever we can to help them get their work done. Right. Well, and, and then the go, other, go ahead. I'm sorry. So the other thing we did was the comptroller at the time said, um, you need to, we all went down there, the senior staff, and heard about the story and talked about what we would do to help. Um, and so myself and a couple of um, folks from my staff went down and did eight employee trainings on cybersecurity. Um, and that was fairly eye-opening as to um, the fact that they had really no training. Um, even though they had a professor or two that taught a cybersecurity class at night, um, it, with each class, we learned something new. And so we ended up developing a fairly good training because you, you assume people know so many things, but they ask the questions and some people say, what is malware? What does that mean? And then a question like, uh, what, what's a macro? So um, that kind of tells you, you kind of add that to the training. So you kind of have to go to the least common denominator to say, well, this, this is, um, it's fairly new still. I think there's a lot more training out there. Uh, but it's helped us uh, deliver a better training on cybersecurity and look for resources out there um, that are already available online that are that are great, you know, short video clips, that kind of thing that people can use to help train their staff. But that was a big issue um, was, was making sure the staff were trained. Right. And, I mean, you actually bring up a good point. You know, I think since, you know, this is what you do for a living and to some extent a lot of us listening are internal controls people, so... You know, of course, we know what malware is or a macro is, but I mean, it's very bad to assume that just the whole world knows what these things are. Right, right, and and to to be honest, it's it's very easy to fool folks. I mean, you and I could probably be fooled too, uh, because all these emails and these uh, schemes are so legitimate looking that if you are rushing through your day to wrap up some emails, you might be the one clicking on something that looks like a legitimate attachment or a, or a link. So if you don't have the security uh, on your endpoints to say, I've screened this link and there's no executable code in there and it looks safe, then you know if you don't have that, then you really gotta be paying attention because uh, you, you, these, uh, these scams where you, you see the CEO of a company sending an email allegedly to the CFO to wire you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars someplace and it comes in at a 4.30 on a Friday afternoon and they, they end up doing it, right? And because um, it looks legit and and then now they can do it with um, uh, mimicking somebody's voice um, and calling and saying, make a transfer. So, so it's very sophisticated and so you really have to be on your toes and not try to rush through a whole bunch of emails. Right, I mean, it sounds right. It sounds like there was some social engineering. I mean, you were saying that they were, they actually got phone calls after the you know they send the initial emails and such, and somebody actually calls to follow up and get their information, right? Exactly. So they knew. So and and so a lot of government agencies will post, you know, their their staff. They say, here's our accounts payable group, here's our finance group, here's here's our financial aid group, and here's their phone number, here's their title. Um, so you have in their email address, so you have all this information readily available uh, because you know the government we're, we're there to help people and we're transparent, right? So that that makes us more exposed. Um, so it's easy to get some of that information and to set up these schemes. And and I, we were at a conference one time and somebody asked, 
you know, are the, are the hackers that much smarter than us? Why can't we get ahead of this? He said, why do we have so many problems? I said, well, how many of you are working 24-7 to protect yourselves against hackers? They do this for a living. They're doing it all day long, and they're, they're, they're always one, two steps ahead of everybody else. And, you know, if they really want to get in, they can't. So, you know, so it could be, could be but the, the, the most, the easiest ways to get in and the most frequent are from the phishing emails or somebody breaching a password. Right. So talk a little bit more about um, some of the guidance and training you guys do. And I believe, don't you also have a website or a resource center? We do. We have a cyber center that we, we created and we put up a, a lessons learned document from um, the first few incidents that we had that, that we encountered. Um, and basically the, the two things that came up were you, you've got to train your employees and you have to be patched. So your IT staff has to be patching their servers and there's and any all the, all the software they have in Microsoft. And those are the two big things. If you can stay up to date on those things, um, then, then you can do more, but those are the number one things that you can do to protect yourselves. So we have resources where if you can, um, we can get the alerts for what are the new patches out there, and like CISA, which is the cyber infrastructure, cybersecurity infrastructure security agency at the federal government, they have a lot of great resources um, for getting alerts for patches and for what the cyber threats are currently out there in certain incidents, that kind of thing. So, so we have tools like that that we put yeah, and speaking of that, so I'm going to turn it a little bit to the AGA side here. So now I, I believe you're also involved in some of the uh, intergovernmental initiatives for AGA. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what, you, what you've done there? Sure. Um, so I've been on several work groups, and the first one um, was a fraud prevention toolkit that we built and re released it in 2012. Um, so that's been out there. It's had a kind of a facelift. It might need some content change, but basically... It is, um, it's a tool where you can go search for what kinds of um, fraud risk would I be exposed to in certain areas. So we, we kind of divvied it up by the fraud type, uh, which could be, you know, it's a, it's a kickback scheme or it's bid rigging or it's corruption, uh, larceny. We did it by program area. So you can search by um, construction and public works or education, healthcare services, Public safety, kind of the some of the, the, the red flag areas in each of those uh, program areas, and then we also did it by business process, which um, people in the accounting world probably think more um, more aligned those that way, like accounts payable, accounts receivable, um, inventory, payroll, human resources, procurement, um, those kinds of categories. So, so that's been out there for a while, and the next tool we worked on was an internal controls tool. So that has um, basic internal controls, but we kind of, we divvied it up by the same categories for business process. So they match with the, with the process that's over in the fraud toolkit. So if you say, oh, so I've got this risk, there are some tips on how to deal with the risk there, but there, there are more specific internal controls over in the internal controls toolkit uh, that go along with that. And then, then we worked on the ERM hub couple of years ago and put a lot of resource information out there for enterprise risk management, which is uh, mandatory at the federal level. A lot of states do it. We, we train uh, uh, internal controls and, um, 
in our state by using the, ER, the enterprise risk management framework as well. Because um, we want, there's a statute where we're required to issue the guidance on internal controls, uh, and we've been basing it on ERMs so, so that people think more than just on the accounting and payroll side of things. Um, think about where you're going as a state agency and what you're trying to accomplish so that you look at all the kinds of risks to your programs uh, as, as well as your finance financial uh, picture. Um, and then we did the Cyber Hub as the latest tool that we had available. And um, right now that's a, a list of resources um, from the federal government, some from the private sector uh, on how to protect yourselves as an agency, but also there's some tips in there for how to protect yourself as a person, so for your home computer or for your mobile phone, because um, those, and the Internet of Things, right, those are things that are uh, becoming more frequently um, hackable and exposed. So there's a lot going on out there that you've got to worry about. So it's not just an email at work. There's a, a text that comes into your phone that says, you know, I need you to, to verify this account, and there's a link there, and that could, you know, hijack your phone from you. So um, you got to be careful with your phone as well. So right. those are some of the things I... Okay, and I had one more question for you. I think we had talked about this before the, the podcast, but, um, you know, kind of what's your perspective on some of the, the more the critical things that you need to know about your data? You know, if like it seems like, you know, data is just spread out all over the place, different systems, different security on different systems, you know, for a CFO or for a you know, financial manager, as far as cybersecurity and where is your data and how is it protected? What are some uh, some bits of advice you would provide on that? Yeah, exactly, because over time you kind of lose track of that, or you can. So so having an inventory of what data you use and when you use it, how you use it, where it comes from, where it goes, is is tantamount to being able to protect it. So the finance folks need to get together with the IT folks to be able to identify the where this information is. Look at all the files that could possibly be in the different applications and systems you may have, um, and then... They, and then knowing who has access to these, you know, do is, is it really data that we need to keep? Is it sensitive? So, so kind of categorizing once you identify all your data. So, which which ones are, are high risk that we really need to protect, and do we even need to have it? So, what we do, we go through audits here from the outside auditor. They come in and they want to test certain um, samples. Could be eligibility for a, a federal program, and they say we need information on clients or customers, but we don't want any PII, right? Do not give it to us, which is kind of the, but but we have to have it, right? It, we just don't have to give it to them. So, so we have to keep some of the stuff, so we have to keep it secure and encrypted in transit and, 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 and at rest. So um, getting together finance and IT to be able to protect it instead of trying to do it on your own is, is, uh, is critical for the data side. Right. Okay. Well, then kind of maybe just as a takeaway again so you know obviously you guys went through these this incident um so you know what would you kind of recommend to folks out there who maybe haven't been hacked yet but uh you know what, what's the thing they need to be kind of checking right now to, to to try to prevent this from happening yeah so so you should start off with a risk assessment you got to think about things about what because if you have limited resources am i going to wait till i get attacked and then spend money to address that or should I try to spend do I going to spend my money up front to try to prevent it so you might you should be doing a little bit of both but you should have a, an incident response plan 
which may be part of your disaster recovery and continuity of operations plans, but you should definitely have an incident response plan, which say might have different playbooks. Like I mentioned earlier, we had a case where it was employee payroll that was stolen, right? So how do we react to that? That's a playbook. You do something different than that than, than if you do if it was a vendor payment that was misdirected. Um, in our case, we have playbooks for um, uh, an agency outside, and it's not us that gets breached, but people that have access to our system. So that's that's how our first incident response playbook was. You know, how do we deal with that? So, so we, we kind of was baptism by fire. We had to kind of jump right into this. We get the right people in the room. It's like a war room kind of a strategy. You get the people in and you find all, all you can about this agency. What, what, what other access do they have? Are they using VPN to get in? Do they have access to other applications, not just the accounting and payroll system? So you kind of go through all, all that inventory of what they have access to. So having an incident response plan in place, um, knowing whether you're going to pay a ransom or not. We had an agency that uh, had ransomware and we kind of were on the phone, we're going through things, and we got vendors out there helping them. They had their own helping them. Um, and you don't want to bog them down with questions like how much were they asking for for ransom. But at the end of it, I did ask uh, the CIO, I said, so what were they looking for? He goes, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I never asked them. They got the message pop up and say, if you want to get your data back or your systems back, you know, email here or call this number. He says, I was never going to pay it. He says, because I wouldn't trust that the, that the information I got back or the systems and data I got, got back would be usable. So he goes, I lost one day's worth of data and so, or, or business. So they, they were able to recover from the backups. It took a while, but they knew they weren't going to pay. So people need to know that. And so if you think you will pay something, um, if that makes sense to you, um, you should look into cyber insurance and go through a broker that deals in different companies that handle it because it's it's a complicated issue. Make sure uh, what you think is covered is covered. Sometimes they will pay because it's cheaper to pay to get the data back than to do to pay for all the cleanup. Um, and sometimes we'll pay for one and not the other. So you got to be careful about what you're buying and make sure it's covering what you think it is. Um, so that's those are some of the the key things. And if you once you draft your plans, do some tabletop exercises to say, okay, let's pretend something happens somewhere and just go through the list to make sure we know what we're doing and who's doing what. And then it's recording all that and then reporting on it later. Communicating too, if you have a breach, um, if you have an attorney that's available that is versed in cyber, um, that's that should be your first call, especially if, it, if you think you have data missing. So to know, you know, who do you tell, who do you report it to? There's the, there's the issue of should I tell the public? Um, or should I not tell should I wait, right? So it, that, that's a political probably question more than um, I'm telling people like the FBI or still the local uh, and law enforcement authorities so I can get my data back and maybe catch somebody. Um, but it, anything you get, even if it's a false alarm, you know it's a bad email, if you can report that to the FBI, um, they, they like to keep track of all that stuff and maybe it'll help catch a criminal. Right. Yeah, and just one more thing, observation, you know, from just some, you know, you always hear the thing about as far as internal controls, you know, who's responsible for internal controls, and you always hear, well, everybody is. So I guess similarly for cyber prevention, you know, hey, every time you get an email, just think, hey, this might this might be something funny going on here. Every time you get a phone call, well, what is this person really trying to get? I mean, just maybe just be a little bit more, uh, you know, critical, suspicious, so to speak. I mean, not 
too much, obviously. You don't want to be paranoid, but, you know, think a little bit more. Maybe somebody's trying to pull something over here. Exactly. And, and even even just somebody coming in the door behind you in your secure building, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a ruse, too. These simple things work just as well as these complicated schemes that they, that they pull. Um, so so it is, it is, uh, there's a lot to be thinking about while you're still trying to get your job done. Hmm. Um, you have to kind of balance that. And, but the more you know, the more you read, the more training you get your employees, the better off you're going to be. Right. Well, Peter, I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, I think this is great information for our listeners and uh, everybody keep, keep themselves on their toes out there, and I appreciate all the work you're doing out there. Sure. Okay. Be safe, everybody. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out, agacgfm.org. Happy New Year to everybody, and uh, we have quite a lot of podcasts coming your way, so make sure to tune in every week or so. As usual, if you have some suggestions, let me know. Look forward to a long, exciting podcast year. Until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing off for 